Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood. With me this evening is my good friend and co-host, Chad Mitz. Welcome to another weird, mild, and wacky week of the world genre movie news. Moonfall, the moon's gonna fall, the moon's gonna fall, 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 and Roland Emmerich's gonna make no money. Chad, Moonfall. Moonfall is coming. It's coming from Marvel, right? That's the that's the name of the move off new Marvel property, Moonfall. Um, some people might wish that's what the name of it is, but uh no, 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 it's not. This is some uh some uh stuff that I don't know why you're making me talk about this. I, I'm 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 confused. I thought Roland Emmerich was doing a Marvel movie called Moonfall. Uh is Kevin Feige still there? And does he like money? <laughs> Because if those two things are true, then Roland Emmerich ain't never coming. So, Chad, promotional materials abound for the movie that is called uh, Moonfall, in which a lot of very famous people got paid money to pretend like the moon was falling into the earth. And uh, it has an IMAX poster, and it has trailers and footage, and it has your boy Patrick Wilson in it, and, and apparently a whole bunch of other folks that uh, needed a paycheck. Your thoughts, sir, on uh, Moonfall, not Moon Knight, uh, as we as we begin the podcast here. I would like to not have thoughts about Moonfall. How about that? Is that does that sufficiently sum up how I feel about this movie? Uh, you've been trying to send me stuff about this movie. I've been trying to avoid it like the plague. Unfortunately, I like watching Spider Man. So when I go see that, they force me to watch this stupid Moonfall trailer. But other than that, like I'm, I saw the trailer last week that you tried to send me that I said I was not going to watch because I saw Spider-Man and I could not roll my eyes harder at this entire concept. Just because, again, I, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I don't know all these fancy physics and sciencey things, but I do know if the moon moves just a little bit. It's over. Everything is done. And the whole premise of this seems to be that half of the moon's not there or some other kind of bull crap. So I'm out. I'm just out. There's nothing for me to... I'm out. I'm out. Well, here's my question, Chad, because it leads into an actual topic that is of interest to discuss. Um, on our rundown, we have the idea that Mission Impossible's uh, 7 and 8 are moving. And Paramount did a whole shuffle of their release schedule for 2022. Um, so clearly there are some studios who are feeling some anxiety about the marketplace in the year of our Lord 2022. So with that in mind, I ask you this question. Will they move Moonfall? Why? Why? The, I mean, who's, who's distributing this, this piece of garbage? Uh Someone who no longer has a job. This is a okay. So this is a Lionsgate film. Uh-huh. When did so they shot this? Uh, oh no, they shot it during the pandemic. They knew, yeah, no, no, they're not moving this. They knew what they were doing. This is they started shooting this in May of 2020. They knew exactly what they were doing. <sighs> so no, there's no way it's moving. They they. They knew they had a pandemic stinker on their hand. Uh, I just, 
I'm just curious, are they going to fire the people that greenlit this before it comes out? Or are they going to wait a couple of weeks or after it comes out to fire them? Because somebody needs to be fired for greenlighting this in the middle of the pandemic. And giving Roland Emmerich money again. Like, yes. Uh, and I said, you know, he is he's still living off of the uh, the the Independence Day, the first one stuff, but it, it's really not been it's not been good since then. That, that's like his one. And he's still living off of that. And that that says a lot about a lot of people that keep giving him money. Well, no, he did uh well, he did White House Down, which I've heard is the the better of the White House movies. But Olympus is fallen is the one that took off, so he just kind of got stuck there. But uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at his his filmography right now from Wikipedia. Independence Day is the one, and then he did what? Then he did Godzilla, the 1998 one that sucked. I guess Day After Tomorrow in 2012 are you know decent. I've seen neither of them. He also did The Patriot, which I didn't realize. Uh, White House Down, Stonewall, which I don't even remember what that is. Stonewall is the one film of his in the last 25, 30 years that I actually enjoy. But that is because it is a a telling of a pivotal a pivotal moment in the uh, homo, the the gay community's rights movement. Oh, is that Stonewall? Okay, yeah, that Stonewall, and he's he and he's a, and he's he's gay himself. And so it's a gay filmmaker tackling gay rights in a small, limited budget way. Like it's the only film of his, I think, that has a budget of less than third, less than a hundred million. Like, dude, dude got less than a hundred million. Went did a small indie movie. Got well received for it in 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 certain sections of the community, and then turned right around and went back and did uh, oh, what was it the the midway the remake of the of the world war ii movie yeah and then that that leads us here to moonfall so i mean looking at you know stonewall and i i well depends how you feel about midway it's not it's not the worst since like 2013 it's just that resurgence is in there and resurgence is a big fat stinker from everything i've heard uh, i saw it in a movie theater with me and one other dude uh and, and the thing about it about that movie that sticks out to me honestly is that emmerich himself on subsequent press tours has been asked about resurgence and the whole deal and he was like the moment that will said no i shouldn't have i should have stopped like they 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 talked about independence day two and independence day three um ID Forever Parts 1 and 2, I think it was called at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they had talked about this two-part story that they had, and it shows at the end of the the, first, the the second movie, they were planning on going to the Aliens homeworld and doing it, doing a much more expensive movie. Um, but, like, the second, and he says it, he said it in multiple interviews, the second Wilk said, no, he should have stopped. But everybody wanted to cash in on the nostalgia cow, and it just wasn't wasn't good at all. Well, I mean, at least in that, at least shows that he understands his mistakes, even though proceeding with this, 
Moonfall movie might contradict that, but I mean, I don't blame, I don't blame. Well, him my thing, for, my thing here, Chad, is look at the situation that we're in in Hollywood. Look at the situation we're in in Hollywood. How do you justify giving this man money again and again and again? Because he doesn't turn a profit. Like Stonewall was probably the last movie he made that made a profit, if that. Let's see. Oh, I don't even have to look this up. Yeah, that's probably correct because it's only resurgence and midway since then. But how do you give that dude money? How do you keep letting him walk into your building and pitch you on a disaster movie in the year of our Lord 2022 and keep saying yes? It's because he has, again, he's, there's a lot of that is living off of the Independence Day pass, even though resurgence, you know, to me and you should have wiped out that kind of goodwill. Even though Independence Day is pushing, what, 25? is pushing, it's over 25. Yeah, it's almost 25. So we're looking at uh, 26 years, almost 30 years ago. And that he can still have that kind of cachet off of that kind of says something. But then again, he also, he does still have the day after tomorrow in 2012, which I, I looking at his filmography, I only seen two Roland Emmerich movies. No, three. I've seen Universal Soldier, Independence Day, and uh, Godzilla. Two of the three I like. Oh, he also did uh, what Stargate. So he like his earlier things were kind of hitting, and then he's got a couple in there that were decent to good. It's just that that last resurgence is like really really bad, and that kind of hangs over it. So I can looking at this, I can see where some exec would be like. Maybe he'll give us another 2012. Maybe he'll give us another death tomorrow. It's not going to be Independence Day, but it might get one of those. Uh, and 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 talking themselves into that and ignoring resurgence and being like, you know, that was a cash grab that didn't work. But he's got all these other things. He doesn't he doesn't really make terrible movies, and I would bet most of them are close to break even. Uh, just at a glance, this is where Box Office Mojo would be helpful, but, you know, they are not now. So I can see where a studio exec would talk themselves into it. However, um, I don't know what the budget was for Moonfall. That was $140 million. For blockbusters, that's not awful, but I wouldn't want to spend that kind of money in a pandemic, which is exactly what they did. So they knew what they were and that's, doing. And that's before marketing. Yeah. So the movie's going to end up costing you about, oh, 200? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't and have done that. maybe make 80. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have done that uh, going into a pandemic. If, if this movie was done and made before the pandemic happened, that's one thing. It's like it's 140 million, maybe 200, uh, pushing 200 with marketing in a pre-pandemic world. Uh, you might be able to squeeze out a hundred million dollars profit, and I think you'd be all right with that. But greenlighting this in a pandemic world and putting it in February, I think it would have ended up in February either way it went. 
But really now putting it in February is like, eh, we see what you think of this movie and you're probably right. So Chad, since we've established they're not going to move Moonfall, what is Warner Brothers going to do with the Batman? Since Disney has moved Turning Red to Disney Plus and Paramount has rescuffled their entire release schedule for 2022, including a Seth Rogen TMNT movie I didn't know uh, was coming out. Um, what do they do with the Batman? And it's three-hour runtime. The Batman is going nowhere. Uh, if they were going to move the Batman, they would have said, slashed, announced something this last week. And in this last week, what we've gotten is um, it looks like I don't know if I, I can't say for sure he was finished this week. I think he was finished before that, but it looks like Matt Reeves has like screened it to people. Uh, they started upping the marketing on it, uh, including releasing the uh, the um, the Batman suite from uh, Michael Giacchino, the uh, composer of the, the movie. You don't do those things if you're contemplating moving this movie that comes out in less than six weeks. And this is your big bell cow movie. If they were going to move it, they would have held off and doing those things. They may not have announced it by now. They might have waited for like a week or two uh, for a month out to, to move it. But the fact that they're doing all of those things tells me that they are not moving it. In fact, I think we're going to sooner rather than later, I think we're going to get an announcement on when you can get your uh, your advanced tickets to go see it. And I think that'll happen in the next two weeks. So the Batman is going nowhere. Now, do I think it should stay in March? I, you know, part of my my uh, my COVID uh, fatigue has been to not look at the numbers so much. So I don't know where we're at. What I what I what I hear is that uh, the peak has happened and we're starting to come out of it. So by the time beginning of March comes, it'll probably look better and it'll be more feasible for people to go to the movies. So if that's the case, keeping it in the March is fine. But I can't really say that it's a, I can't really say that moving it is a thing they should do considering we just released Spider-Man in the middle of the peak in December. And that has went on to whip everybody's ass. So anybody that thinks they have a contender, COVID be damned, they'll put it out. I think that's right. That No Way Home's leading the box office again after six weeks, crossing the 700 million mark domestically, um, doing all these things that it tells you that people will come. The old, uh, the old uh, field of dreams line. People will come if you put the right product out at the right time. And uh, I think they're betting in the that the spring and and that the weather getting better and people wanting to get out more that that more people want to come see a Batman movie, uh, not. You know, not caring about the fact that it's like the what the fifth Batman movie or sixth Batman movie in the 21st century. So it's not like we've had a shortage of the Batman movies. Um, and it's not like we're pulling and we are pulling in multiple Batman, right? Like we're we're gonna get uh, no, we're not. We're we're only getting this Pattinson Batman in this one. Flashpoints where we're getting multiple Batman. Yes. So you don't even have that nostalgia play that you're gonna get later on in the year. 
Um, I mean, it's just, you're right. You don't do all these things and send all these signals if you were going to move the movie, but same time, I've seen studios do crazier things. Um, well, you and, say and the thing is, too, I think Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers is in a unique position because they're trying to keep their directors happy after what happened a year ago. Uh, yeah, we, when you say crazy things and Warner Brothers qual- definitely qualifies for being um, making not the best choices. But I think with the Batman, they are very clear eyed and they know this is the thing that they can do. They always can do it. And they can always make money from it. But uh, you are right. They are trying to make their directors happy. Um, I don't see. But again, they're clear eyed on this. So with this franchise, they're like, we're not fooling with other visions. This is strictly Matt Ray's vision, whatever he wants. It doesn't matter what he wants, no matter how, how outlandish it is, he can have it. And with all of that promotion that came this week, we found out uh, just how much he wants, he, how much of how much movie he wants, and they don't seem to have a problem with that. So, yeah, I I, I don't see why they would have a, why Matt Reeves would have any issue with anything Warner Brothers is doing for the Batman. I mean, apparently the cinema nerd world has a problem with three hour movies all of a sudden. Um, not that anybody had a problem with that eight, you know, 24 months ago during during Endgame's legendary run and certainly didn't have that problem 50 years ago when Ben-Hur was a thing or Lawrence of Arabia. Directors get longer times to tell their stories. I mean, it's like, I'm sorry that we can't break everything up into chapters and have, uh, you know, have intermissions anymore. Like, if you get invested in the story, you get invested in the characters, you're not going to care how long the movie is. Trust me, because I can watch the I can watch the Irishman many many times. I cannot watch the Revenant. Both films are very long. Both films are very complex. One of them features Leonardo DiCaprio getting it handed to him by a grizzly bear in natural light, and yet I still do not give enough of a care about Leonardo DiCaprio's character in that movie to care that he is you know getting it handed to him by a grizzly bear, and that he did it desperately to get an Oscar. Um, you know, so like if I care about the characters, I'm all in. I'm not going to be sitting there looking at my watch. If, as is the case with Moonfall, I don't care if any of these people die. I'm just going to be looking at my watch to see how much longer I have to endure this pain. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up things like uh, Ben Hur and and those old movies because uh, you mentioned Endgame too, and people did have. There were a lot of people that did have a problem with Endgame's runtime. Uh, I saw people re, uh, retweeting articles from the in-game time where people wrote, you know, nothing should be longer than two hours, and movies included, and especially comic book movies. And there was a lot of that sentiment. It's like, it's a comic book movie. Why does it have to be three hours? Blah, blah, blah. And there was some of that with, uh, some of that with the Irishman too. And all of the movies that are over like two hours and 30 minutes, people have been more vocal about it. But yeah, you are right. Uh, like Ben-Hur, hell, Gone with the Wind, which I despise that movie. Uh, Gone with the Wind, Sound of Music, all these movies are like three hours long. Granted, in that time, those movies had intermissions. Our movies do not. 
but still, those movies were made to be long. And I don't, I don't know that people had a problem with it. I don't. I would have to look. There probably were people that had a, that said something about it, but cinema was different then, and I think they just kind of took what was given to them. And now, with all these plethora of uh, options to watch uh, movies and TV and all of that, three hours might seem a bit daunting. So I can understand people's hang up with that. But like you're saying, if it's a good movie, a good compelling movie with compelling characters and a compelling story, three hours won't be so bad the first time you see it. You probably won't even notice how long it is. On subsequent viewings, yeah, you might feel it a little bit, but that's because you know it's coming. So if it's good, three hours won't be a problem. That's fine. But to that same token, like when I first heard that this movie was going to be three hours, I was hesitant not because of not so much because it is a three-hour movie it's because it's a new version of this batman that's three hours and making it three hours should be it's it is a mark of like confidence on warner's part that they believe in this movie but we still don't know how the audience is going to take it i think the audience is going to take it well i think audience is going to like it but saying we're going to give you this three-hour movie and we don't know how you feel about this Batman. That takes a lot of stones. And on one hand, kudos to Warner Brothers for sticking to their auteur guns. That's what the movie Matt Reeves made. That's fine. Especially considering their history, again, involving Batman and three-hour movies when they decided to uh, to cut the hell up of, Bat- of Zack Snyder's Batman versus Superman. Your opinions of either version of that movie can be your own. Uh, Mine are that the three-hour cut is the better cut, and that's probably the cut they should have released. I don't think it makes it an overwhelmingly better movie. It makes it make more sense. But Warner Brothers has decided that we've learned our mistakes. We're going to, and we want we want our tours, and we particularly want our tours on Batman. So we're going to let Matt Reeves make this movie, he wants to make it three hours, then that's fine. It's, it is a, to say that it's not a gamble to give people a three-hour version of this Batman and not know how they feel about it, that is a gamble. People should, if people want to say that and acknowledge that, that is fine. But I, overall, I think it will be fine. Here's the thing. 13-year-old Brian is sat down in front of the television and told that Kate Winslet's boobs show up two hours into his three-hour movie. I sit there for the entire three hours waiting for Kate Winslet's boobs. Like, <laughs> if, if, like if you have a goal or an objective, like, you can make it through a three-hour movie. The, the end game is the culmination of 22 movies. Of course, it's going to be General Miss Little. Like, here's the thing. A little film history lesson here. When the biblical epic was a huge thing and Westerns were a huge thing, it was in a time and a place where theaters were one screen, maybe two, and where theater owners wanted you to come sit your rear end in a seat for as long as humanly possible so that you would buy more snacks and eat and enjoy the movie, not only one half, but both halves. And as things like 
the multiplex became a thing and you had 16 screens, now it became more like a restaurant. It became more about flipping tables or flipping theaters. The more times, the, the, the shorter the movie, the more times a day you can show it on more screens and therefore the more money you can make. And at some point that dynamic between let them sit there all day and turn them over as quickly as you can happened. And now we're just pre-programmed to understand and believe that all movies should be two hours so that we can turn the, tape, turn the, turn the theater over, that we can show uh, No Way Home 15 different uh, in 15 different time frames and make money selling tickets to each one of those 15 shows. Like at some point that dynamic changed. And chapter breaks don't necessarily have to be a thing. A good movie um, is like a symphony. It has, uh, how do I put this? Uh, it has ebbs and flows. It has peaks and valleys. It has up, you know, you being the music dude that you are, you know that like there are crescendos and there are downslopes from those crescendos and you go back up. Like, and not everything stays at that high pitch. And, you know, matches in professional wrestling are done the same way. Like not everything is a false finish. You know, um, like, the way a three-hour movie would be put together ideally would be like a symphony, and you would have transitional pieces, and you would have what we call the bathroom breaks in professional wrestling, right? Like, it's not gonna be this intense thing where, like, you have to watch every moment. There's no chance you could ever leave your seat for fear of something happening. Like, even in this long-form detective movie, which is what I think this ultimately is, I think this is a a long form procedural movie. Um, there are going to be times for you to get up and go to the bathroom and you're not going to miss a whole bunch. There are going to be times where you emotionally go up, emotionally go down, emotionally stay flat, and then go back up again because that's the way a good movie that is edited, edited correctly and structured properly does. And so I don't care if you your movie is 90 minutes or 300 minutes. Like, that structure should always remain the same. And so again, as long as you're providing me with an emotional story that I connect with, I don't didn't care about Ed Astra. I didn't give two shits about, you know, Brad Pitt's daddy issues. I didn't need to be hit over the head with Tommy Lee Jones floating away and him having to physically let go of his father. Let physically let go of his father. You can't just metaphorically tell me let go of your father. You have to show me let go of your father because that's bad screenwriting. But anyway, I digress. Um, as long as your structure is sound, your storytelling is sound, I don't care how long your movie is because it'll give me what I need and it will provide me with respites so that I don't get overwhelmed, which is what Dune did, right? Dune's not a three-hour movie, but Dune's a very long movie with a lot of dialogue and a lot of exposition. Even Bienville found ways to weave that stuff through so that you didn't feel as an audience member overwhelmed by the runtime or by what the information you were receiving. Good, solid editors, filmmakers, script writers can, you know, can, can make these things to where they work and they flow and you don't care about the runtime. Don't buy Ad Astra. <laughs> Amen.
if you made the Ten Commandments today, trying to limit that story to two hours, like you can argue, well, Prince of Egypt did in 85 minutes. I'm like, well, it's an animated movie. It's a different thing. I mean, <laughs> I watched this this weekend uh, in my rare time off. I uh, ran across We're Back playing on a, on HBO. And I'm like, this. what's the runtime on this movie? Oh, it's 85 minutes. <laughs> like, you know, animated movies are just different. But like, if you made the Ten Commandments in the proper epic scope way you would have to do it three hours because that's the way that story is designed and structured like do you need a three-hour jackass movie no but i mean like that's not what they're trying to do like it's just i'm frustrated with this whole three-hour movies are bad things like you go watch a three-hour football game or a four-hour football game if you're in college like but if it's either important enough for you to spend that three hours at the movie theater or it's not. And if it's not, then, you know, take those, you'll, you're, you know, don't be the person who's like, well, I'm not getting those are the three hours of my life. I'm never getting back. Well, make the decision not to go. They could do that. And everyone complaining about the three hours are also going to be there to watch the Batman because it's yeah. Batman. On day one. That's the thing. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what the complaint is. And, and there are things like, like uh, there's a four-hour cut of, uh, of Hateful Eight on Netflix, but it's chopped up into chapters. Yeah. So, like, you, it's not like you have to sit there through the entire thing. So I, I get that they're, like, but that's a natural storytelling device for, for Tarantino anyway. He uses chapters a lot in movies anyway. So like that's not an odd thing for him. So I just I thought it was a goofy one of those cinema nerd overreaction things to send out multiple think pieces about keeping the audience in the auditorium too long. Apparent. Okay. Let's move on. Let, let's move on. So apparently, William Defoe has an amazing Joker idea that he would like to see made into the Joker sequel. Your okay. thoughts, sir, on William Defoe and the Joker sequel? I know podcasting is a uh, audio medium and not a visual one, so people can't see me calling time out. Because yes, I saw what he said, and I take umbrage with the thought of an awesome idea. It is an idea, um, but that idea all hinges around revisiting the world of the Joker, the movie with Joaquin Phoenix. And to that, I say we don't need to let it go. Move on. I realize I say I'm saying that about a billion dollar movie with arguably the most popular villain in pop culture right now. I understand I'm saying that. And I also understand I'm saying that when the man that came up with this idea is a man that many people have like fan cast as the Joker for some time now. And if you look at the man and you can visualize him with Joker paint, I understand where you're coming from. Yes. If you, Think of the most angular, uh, spooky version of the Joker you've seen in the comics. And that is what Willem Dafoe would be with Joker makeup on. I understand it. That is really, really enticing. But let the world of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker go. No matter how enticing it might be 
to see Willem Dafoe as a Joker. I just think that world needs to be his own thing and stay away. Because, but this is where my personal opinion comes in because I don't ever want to go back there. It was a sad, lonely, depressing place that glorified a man with mental illness, even though they said they weren't glorifying a man with mental illness and did very, very horrible things. So I can only imagine what kind of dumb, messed up stuff they would do if you let them come back to that world and have not one, but two jokers to go and do this terrible, insane crap with. The point of the Joker is he is chaos, he is disorder, he is everything ugly with the world, and Batman stops him because he doesn't believe that's what the world is. If you're going back to this world without a Batman and you're giving two messed up Jokers, nothing good comes from that. Let that crap go. I mean, I'm sure Joaquin and, and Defoe can have lunch at like an A24 meeting or something, uh, lunch or something, and work out all the details and Todd Phillips will be more than happy to sign on and direct and, and we can have uh, the Joker too, times two. <sighs> the marketing materials just write themselves, Chad. Stop. Stop putting this out into the world. I'll blame you. You know I'll blame you for this if this happens. Well, I mean, the man is, is the perfect Green Goblin, so why not? He's riding high off of that. Plus all of his indie work that he's done the last 15 years. And it's not like he's any stranger to the kind of stuff that, that uh, Joaquin Phoenix is doing. Um, I just, I just fervently remember Warner brothers in the lead up to that movie being like, no, we're not like glorifying violence or condoning anything this crazy man is doing. We're just making a movie. It's fine. And literally the last scene of the movie is the man standing on his on a car dancing again, because that's all the man does is dance. Um being held heralded by all the, the crazy people in the town who have gone nuts. So do not want return to sender immediately. Todd Phillips and a billion dollars and a few Oscars will also change people's minds. I know, and that's why I'm honestly I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Because what does Warner what does Warner Brothers love more than anything? They love recognition from what they think is their peers and studios in the form of positive praise and and Academy Awards, and and they like making money. And this movie did both of those things. So I thought they would be just dying, die, absolutely dying to do it again because it, it filled all of their worst impulses. So I just figured they'd go back. But I also think, well, I don't think they have the impulse control to not do another Joker. I think a lot of that hinges on Joaquin Phoenix and they might be able to talk him into it, but I think it made them double down on Artur, Artur, let him do what he wants, dark, dark, and you get the Batman. So I think that the Batman is filling their itch for this whole Joker thing, but uh, it made too much money and did and, and, and got a best actor nomination. It's going to take a few more years of them not doing anything for me to feel safe that they won't do anything. Again, Joaquin Phoenix has never done a sequel. So 
even though there were reports of Joker 2 posters floating around the set and him and Phillips talking about ideas, he's he's never he's never stepped back into that world a second time. And also he's right back to doing his Oscar worthy, buzzworthy um indie movies again. So I mean, dude, dude's a character. So we'll we'll see. I don't think he's He's going to get it in the green light. They get back up seven brink trucks to his house. And I just, I don't see that dude going, yeah, I'm going to do this again. That's what I think. And I mean, but people will say, well, he said he would be open to doing the sequel. And that, that could have just been him talking because this was all going through the whole. Um, the junket. From, yeah, the, the junkets for the movie. And then, you know, the all of the, the glad handing he has to do on the um on the oscar campaign trail haven't really heard anything him, him say anything about that since so hopefully that's all that was but i mean if everybody's got a price and warner brothers might be willing to pay his so chad disney they want to make a live action aristocrats movie I thought we already got that, Chad, in the form of Cats, the musical, which you sat through, and I did not, thankfully. Your thoughts, sir, on the live-action aristocrats, and can Disney do better than Cats? Not only did I sit through Cats, uh, to prove my love for my daughter, I actually bought the movie Cats when it came out. Uh, I look at it every time I open up all my... uh, my movie files and and look at this shelf over here somewhere on there so let it not be done let this be publicly known that chad loves his daughter because i sat through and then bought cats and so i will not let you disperse the name of aristocats with cats because one is a well-made perfectly fine and enjoyable uh cartoon that gave us another uh baloo-like character voiced by phil harris and Thomas O'Malley, uh, no, Abraham DeLacy, Giuseppe Casey, Thomas O'Malley, the Alley Cat. That's his whole name. Um, I had to think about the song to get that. So, and Cats, that movie is um, Andrew Lloyd Webber's, like, um, that's his high reading poetry cat books fever dream that we should never mix up with anything else. But I never imagined Aristocast being one of those up for the live action treatment. I, it just never crossed my mind. But when I saw it, I'm like, of course they're going to do this. And I don't, I, st- I don't know how I feel about it yet. I think it's fine. Uh, did, they, I, did, did they say if it was a theater one? I think it's Disney Plus, right? Is it strictly Disney Plus? I believe it's I believe it's theatrical. Okay. Uh if it okay, so if it's theatrical, that'll change my opinion. If it's Disney Plus, I get it. Uh because Disney Plus has done these things. I would think it's Disney Plus because Disney Plus started with Lady and the Tramp. And I know their Pinocchio with Tom Hanks is Disney, is strictly Disney Plus. Well, they did the Lady and the Tramp thing for Disney Plus. But the the Pinocchio that's coming out, the Tom Hanks Geppetto. They did they did the Lady and the Tramp thing for Disney Plus. Yeah, that. Hold on, let me see. I'm pretty sure 
it's going to be Disney Plus. If it's Disney Plus, I, I feel better about it because it's, it's obviously lower stakes. So uh, it's going to take me too long to find. So never mind. I'm just going to say it's Disney Plus. If it's theatrical, that changes itself because then it has to actually make money. And while I like Aristocats and everybody I know likes Aristocats, it's not one of those that has the cachet to put in a theater. Like, if you're putting that into a theater above putting Pinocchio into a theater, I think that's a little crazy. So that's why I'm thinking it has to be Disney Plus because it just... Aristocats is like a niche movie. Like the Disney lovers love it and it has its fans, but it does not have near as many fans as anything like, you know, Little Mermaid. But those are like mega things. But having a home on Disney Plus, I think it's fine. It'll all come down to the casting, pretty much solely the casting of Thomas O'Malley, because uh, again, it was. Phil Harris in the original, and he's the voice of Baloo, and he he brings brings all of that Balooness to Thomas O'Malley, and that's what makes him fun, and in turn, that's what makes the rest of the movie fun. I really could care less about it. who else is who anybody else is for anybody anything else. Thomas O'Malley is the star of that movie. You have they have to get somebody good to decent for that, and if they do that, I think it'll be a fine little Disney Plus movie. I'm just interested in the technology. Like, I'm interested if they're going to use that same technology or if they're going to do the the thing they did with the, the Lady and the Tramp movie. I would think they would do what they did with Lady and the Tramp. But, I mean, Lady and the Tramp was over two years ago now. I would imagine that the technology that they use for Lady and the Tramp is the same technology they're using for Pinocchio. Which, would, which should have taken a leap to be better. So it should have that going for it. In other sequel news, everybody's favorite Christmas movie that is shown 24 hours on Christmas Eve, A Christmas Story <laughs> is getting a sequel. Ralphie is coming home with his eye patch. Your thoughts, sir, on revisiting the world of A Christmas Story lo these many decades later. See, people are going to hear that and they're going to get mad because we, we're just coming off of uh, the, the new Home Alone movie. So people hear that and they're like, oh, they're rebooting it. They're going to put another kid in it and people are not going to be happy. We left out the part that, no, it's not necessarily a reboot. It is uh, a sequel and we're going to have a grown-up Ralphie played by the same actor. Peter Billingsley is going to be returned as Ralphie uh, for those that like, well, why? Okay, good. You're bringing that kid back. It's a continuation. But why do we want to see this kid again? What has he been doing? We don't even know if he's like an actor or whatnot. But you do know what Peter Billingsley has been doing. You do know he's an actor because you've seen him in movies in the last 20 years. You just didn't know it. Uh, for, for reference, if you've seen the first Iron Man, uh, Tony Stark built this in a cave with a bunch of scraps. The dude getting poked in the chest, finger poked in the chest. That's Peter Billingsley. That's Ralphie. Uh, if you've seen Elf, uh, one of the little red elves that makes fun of, I don't know if he makes fun of Buddy, but 
he's in there, the little red elf. He's the only prominent red elf. That's Peter Billingsley. And since you know that uh, the dude from Iron Man 1 shows up in Spider-Man Homecoming, Mysterio's homeboy, Peter Billingsley. So he's going to be back. He's, he's been doing stuff like that and executive producing things. So I don't have a problem with them doing this. It's not like he's a child star that went away and then they're just going to pull him off the street. He can, I think he can do it. It's just, can they capture the magic, quote unquote, of what Christmas story is? And I'll be perfectly honest with you. I have no idea because I don't see a little peel of Christmas story as it is. I don't like Christmas story. Ooh, big shot. I don't care about Christmas story. Um, I didn't watch it growing up every Christmas until I was older. And that is only because my significant other was one of those people that watched it all the time. So I've seen it a bunch now and I do not care. So a lot of, a lot of what I understand people liking Christmas story has to do with is the nostalgia, not only for the time period that the movie takes place, but the nostalgia of them watching Christmas story growing up. So how do you, wrap that up in a new movie with the same people the same people probably will get you a little bit there but how do you cross the finish line with the story i don't know i don't know if it's possible but if they want to try go ahead and try at least they're bringing back ralphie and to to go with the story instead of someone else Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a National Lampoon's guy. Always have been, always will be. Um, right on. A, a Christmas, a Christmas story is just it's it's interesting and it's different. But the thing, everybody remembers Leg Lamp. Um, my thing from that movie is always the uh, Chinese dinner, um, going to the Chinese place for dinner. Um, like uh, legacy sequels and 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 continuations of movies. A very long time afterwards or tricky. I had this conversation or went on this, had sent this tweet out this morning about a, a tweet from Exhibitor Relations showing the box office results for the last two Ghostbusters movies. Um, Answer the call, the Paul Feig um, movie and um, the Jason uh, Bateman or the uh, Jason, uh, the, uh, Jason Reitman um afterlife movie and my thing was you know they're great for what they're trying to do but as much as i loved afterlife you know anybody who listens to this podcast knows i loved afterlife and i came around to paul feig's version of what he was doing maybe the time to make that movie was 1995 you know maybe crazy uncle dan and Harold Ramis and, and Ivan Reitman sitting in a room together in Cape Cod one summer. They'd have come up with a story that Bill Murray would have actually signed on to. Maybe the right moment to do that movie was 1995. And, and maybe now it just, it, you can't recapture that no matter how hard you try. The audience just may not be there for it the way they would have been in 95. Because 95, you're coming, you know, you're right in that middle range coming off of the 80s and all the things. It's the same way I felt 
Um, I felt like Odd Couple 2 failed not because it was a horrible movie or because it was a bad comedy, but because it was a long time from the original to the sequel. And the sequel played very much like some of the other Mathau and Lemon movies they were doing at the time. If you remember, um, Odd Couple 2 falls in that same range where they were doing, you know, um, the Grumpy Old Men movies, Out to Sea. Like they were doing these these old man buddy comedy movies at the time. So it just seemed like another buddy comedy, uh, old, old man buddy comedy. It didn't seem like an odd couple movie that was like Neil Simon and all the things. Um, sometimes, especially with comedy, like there's a time and a place. Uh, we just saw this with Coming to America too, right? We've been wondering about a Coming to America sequel for decades, right? Finally did it. It's not as good as the original and it wasn't received as well. Why? Because comedy tastes change so rapidly and the audience tastes change so rapidly and the fan base has changed so rapidly. I mean, it, it's it's not like comic book movies where like there are, there are Iron Man fans that go back 50 years before the, the character was even a thought in popular consciousness. Like that's not the case with like things like Ghostbusters or, or stuff like that. So, you know, my thing with with Christmas Story is just like comedy sequels are really hard to pull off, even the great ones like Anchorman. Really hard to pull off sequels, and it's kind of why I don't want to ever see a Wedding Crasher sequel because <laughs> uh, I got my movie in the perfect time that it was made. Um, but if, if you're gonna do this, at least you're gonna bring in the original actor who's got experience. You're gonna do the right. You're gonna connect those two those two in a in a con, in a continuity way. And and I think that that'll that'll give them a running start at least. Yeah, I think that's the best way to look at it. Uh, but yeah, it, the the whole sequel thing—that is the point. It's it's very seldom done in a in a successful way, and it's even harder the longer you wait between sequels. And this is pushing 40 years it's going to be uh it'll be interesting what they end up coming up with well my thing my thing is comedies as a whole are very rarely ever designed as trilogies in the way that comic book movies for example thor movies iron man movies spawn movies when they made the spawn movie they anticipated they'd be able to make more spawn movies and there are tons of spawn stories to pull from from the mcfarland run and dark horse to make more Spawn movies, right? It, comedy doesn't work that way. Like you're just trying to make a funny movie for the period of time that you're in. Like Kevin Kevin Hart is not going to be able to make um, right along three, four, and five um, 15 years from now. It, it's not going to work. Um, comedies are not built or designed as trilogies <laughs> in the way that comic book movies or series-based source material films are and i think that that just makes it harder honestly and that's why i'm i'm happy when i read stories like uh will ferrell turning down a bunch of money to do an elf sequel because he's like what's the point what story can we do that's going to top this and and that's kind of where you got to come from come from it with with sequels to comedies is what can we do to make it relevant for this generation and this time period of comedy so chad a movie studio in space so tom cruise can make a space movie your thoughts sir on bringing 
whole movie crews up to space. It sounds like a very, very expensive gimmick to me. And you know what? Studios like to use gimmicks. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. That's that's fine. My, my concern, first and foremost, is that is there a way to do that that is completely safe? And I don't really have a reason to doubt. Well, I do have reasons to doubt it now uh, in light of, you know, recent event, recent events with uh, notably uh, the, the, the gun misfiring on that, on that one set, uh, the, the various bouts of COVID going on, on, uh, on certain sets. So that makes me pause more, but I, I do, I do think at the end of the day, Tom Cruise uh, knows this is all about him. And I don't think he wants anything like that reflected on him. So I have more faith that it's not like that if they were to do this, they would be able to do it as safely as possible. But is as safely as possible still the safest thing to do in this instance? I would lean on the I would lean on the on saying no, that it's not, that this is overkill for a stunt. But again. If they can do it in a safe way and make sure everybody that goes up there comes back down in the same way they went up, I can't, I mean, I can't say that they should not do it. I can't say that somebody should stop them, but it but is. But how is that not going to add to the, like the budget of the movie that you're going to make? Like movie crews are not small, especially on big budget action movies. They are not small crews. How are you going to transport hundreds of individuals up to the studio? Where are they going to live? Like, you can't just take the bus, the city bus back and forth from Earth to the studio. Like, that, that's not a practical thing. Like, I mean, that's, that's why I said it's, it's overkill for a stunt. It's going to be stupid expensive. But studios do stupid expensive things all the time. And the reason they're going to do this stupid expensive thing is because it's Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise moves the needle, and Tom Cruise and his stunts move the needle. And if you're telling people that we're sending people into space for this Tom Cruise movie for the sole purpose of filming this in space for for Tom Cruise for whatever he wants to do in space, they know it will move the needle. But I'm with you. That is, it's it's a it's really overkill for it. It is a stunt. That's all it is. It is a stunt. Whatever they're shooting in space, they can probably shoot down here. It's not going to cost as much, but it's not going to be in space. Thereby, it kills the stunt. They're doing this for a stunt. And if they want to spend all that money on a stunt, more power to them. Just make sure the people that you're taking can come back down and they're just as good as when they went up there. That's the only, that's my only thing. Safety is my only thing. Money is secondary, but They've got money to throw around, so if they want to, forget it. So you're telling me that uh, Tyrese and Taj Gibson did not, I repeat, did not fly a car in space in in Fast 9? They didn't actually go to the atmosphere and, and launch their car past the International Space Station? They went to a lower orbit. 
that was technically not space, I guess. I don't know. I still haven't watched that dumb movie. I think I'm going to go ahead and rent it this week to, to get that out the way. So, Chad, let's end this podcast where we began, talking about Moon Knight. Um, your thoughts on Oscar Isaac and the trailer for the latest Marvel TV show, which will be the first one out the gate, Moon Knight. Um, seeing the trailer and really thinking about who Oscar Isaac is as an actor, um, I have to, like, it, the trailer, it got me more excited for Moon Knight as a process, uh, as a project, because you know, I know who Moon Knight is, but I don't know much about him. But having Oscar Isaac involved makes it more exciting. And seeing the way this trailer was laid out, I, it makes me it, it makes me hopeful that the reason Oscar Isaac is involved is because it's a role that appeals to him because it has it's going to have those different facets. We know this about Moon Knight. Moon Knight has a associate personality disorder what we used to call schizophrenia or uh, multiple personalities so that with that he's gonna he's gonna have a, a range to go with he's gonna be performing as you know the different versions of this character and I think if that's what really appealed to him then he's gonna do a good job with this and this is gonna be this should be different than any other Marvel series that we've seen because not only does Moon Knight deal with some of the mysticism that we're, you know, we're just starting to touch on, but I think his is in a different way. But it'll be the first hero we see that, you know, uh, since he's not a real person, I feel comfortable saying this, but he's the first hero we're going to see that's, that's crazy. He's literally, he's like literally out of his mind. Uh, through his affliction. And so, you can never really tell. And you can never really tell whether he's actually experiencing these things or if it's all in his head. Yeah. So that's going to be something new that we've got. And because I don't, also because I don't know anything about Moon Knight, I don't know who Ethan Hawke is playing. And that is really intriguing to me because I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure he is the antagonist for this season. But what does that mean in the scope of this world? I have no idea. And Ethan Hawke is a really good actor. So seeing whatever he's going to bring should be uh, should be really good. So I'm excited for I'm not like over the, no pun intended, I'm not over the moon for it yet. But once we get to that point and once we start watching it, I'm pretty sure I'll be there every Wednesday waiting for it to kick up. Uh, well, it's not like Oscar Isaac's last visit to Egypt. So he's already in the in the good there. Um, I forgot he was in Egypt in that one too. Oh boy. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, I Look, this is him blank doing Cowboy Ninja Viking, which we heard rumors of Chris Pratt trying to do forever. Um, multiple personalities lend themselves to him trying and experimenting with different acting techniques and different accents and just different voices and things. Uh, I like the whole idea of chaining yourself to the bed. It gives a very like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde feel to the to the proceedings. I like uh, I like the fact that he's the goofy um, you know night manager at the uh, at the museum store that has a very that's a much more appealing background story to me than to be a CIA operative. 
Um, I like the weapon choice, very cool. Um, I like the costume, feels very like it's just got the right amount of mummy feel to it. Um, and I like the mysticism. I think that if you've done Doctor Strange, you can do Moon Knight. That's just the way that I feel. I think you can get away with doing it and the audience will accept it. So I'm interested to see where they go with it, how they tie it into everything. Um, I'm just also ready for the Book of Boba Fett to be like done. So, <laughs> wait, are you, are you not liking Boba Fett? Dude's taking up my television for like an hour every Wednesday to have back to the back to tank flashbacks that take forever and explain very little, if anything. And then he goes to try and have a war with 10 people. You don't fight a war with 10 people. And then he has the cyberpunk Power Rangers. Like, really, dude? Like, then he lets the Wookiee walk away. Bottom line is, I've learned over the course of this show, Bubba Fett is not a smart dude. <laughs> Bubba Fett is not a smart dude. To go <sighs> back to the Sarlacc pit where you know you're, 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 you came out of the Sarlacc pit with your armor on. It was the only way you survived. It's not back in the Sarlacc pit. So why go back there? It's, just, it's not a yeah. brilliant dude. Yeah, I didn't Let like the Wookiee walk away. And then two hours later, oh crap, I probably should have gone and gotten the Wookiee. The the armor thing is the only thing that really, really bothered me because it's like like you said, yes, he the only reason you came out is because you had the armor on. You know you came out with the armor. Now, granted, I'm assuming that it's very traumatizing to uh to be eaten by what most people call the sand vagina and have to claw your way out. And it would be disorienting to come out. But even still, as disorienting as it can be, you didn't realize the jaw was jacked you as soon as you came out? Because that's what happened. And I found that hilarious in the first episode. So I wish there was like more of an explanation, like, or they made more of more of an effort to say, yeah, he was really messed up when he got out the sand vagina and he didn't realize that he got jacked for his armor once he came out. Then I, I, I could have excused the whole going back to the Sarlacc pit, uh, even though that was like my favorite scene in that in this last episode. Uh, it was, to your point, it was dumb to go to take your ship that deep into it. But the the resulting scene and how how they handled the uh the sarlacc pit uh i enjoy but it's just like i don't i don't i'm not as hard on it as other people are but there are things that they're not really doing a good job explaining or showing us to explain why 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 he why he does some of the things he does and why we're at certain points that we are the cyberpunk power rangers that's who I, you're gonna go fight a war with against the <laughs> against the against this mighty imperial uh, uh, trade federation, the Pikes. I I get I get that part. He's like, it's part of his. Uh, it's part of his who he is now. Being his forgiveness to her. Yeah, being indoctrinated with uh, the Tuscans and learning their ways. He's more and, and snorting a lizard. Yeah, <laughs> he's more uh, he's more about building a community. So seeing those kids in that spot, knowing he can put them to work that fosters the community and that's the way he wants to build his empire. I get that. 
But uh, yeah, he also has to realize that this ain't enough, and I'm gonna have to like actually bust some heads from time to time. Is my issue with him? Indeed. That'll all about do it for this week's episode of the Movies on the Brain podcast. If you want to follow us on, uh, keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan. At the Mets Theory. Thank you very much and have a pleasant evening. <laughs>